Well, I'm very grateful to your pastor-elect for his very kind introduction, and it's a delight to be back with you after so many years. One more time on this joyous occasion as we prepare to install your new pastor, Aaron Suber. You've just heard the word of God read, and I'll invite you, if you don't already, to open your copies of the scripture to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Many years ago, my father asked me a favor, which I did not refuse. He said, would you please take my car out and fill it up with gas? Cars don't have gas, they don't go. And I happily did so. Went to the gas station, I'd done this many times, could not get the nozzle into the tank. And I kept forcing it and forcing it and the nozzle would not go until it dawned on me. I was trying to put unleaded fuel in a diesel tank. And I'm really glad that I couldn't because the only thing worse than no fuel is the wrong fuel. It would destroy the engine. Well, that helps us to understand Paul's words to Titus, his younger associate in ministry, whom he has left in Crete. Things are not entirely well in Crete. Paul talks about that in the first chapter. There are false teachers. They're not only teaching false things, they have wormed their way into houses. Paul tells us in chapter 1, verse 11, they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. So Titus has to roll up his sleeves and get to work. And Paul does not leave it to his imagination what he is to do. He tells him in chapter 2, verse 1, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then he begins to march through the congregation. Now, Titus, here's what you tell the older men. Here's what you tell the older women. Here's what you tell the younger men. Here's a word for you and your fellow elders. Here's a word for the servants. And Paul is not done. Had Paul stopped at chapter 2, verse 10, we would have a car without gas. It is in verses 11 through 15, the verses that Pastor Harold just read for us, that Paul points Titus and you and me to fuel for the car. This is what we need to run the engine of the Christian life. This is what your pastor, Pastor Suber, will be heralding from this pulpit Lord's Day after Lord's Day. So as Paul summarizes fuel for the Christian life, what is it? What do you and I need? What do we need to be listening for? And there are two pairs of things we're to listen for that encapsulate the gospel of Christ. The first is two comings. There are two comings that we need to keep before us. Verse 11, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's Christ's first coming. Then look at verse 13. We wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's Christ's second coming. His first appearing and his second appearing. That's what we keep before us. 
So let's look at each very briefly. His first appearing. He has come to bring salvation for all people, verse 11. Verse 14, what did he do? He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now, if you wanted to summarize the entirety of the ministry of Jesus Christ in a single word, what word would that be? Well, I'll give you Paul's word. Grace. The grace of God has appeared. It's not that there was no grace before Jesus. But you see, grace is always in and through Jesus. God was saving people before Jesus as they were trusting in him in the types and shadows of the Old Testament. And now this grace has come, now that Jesus Christ has come. What about this grace? Paul says this grace is wide. He has brought salvation, verse 11, for all people. Paul isn't saying that all people are going to be saved. He's saying this grace is for all kinds of people. The kinds of people he was describing in the first part of this chapter. If you're a human being, you are not beyond the reach of the grace of Jesus Christ. There is mercy for you. The grace of Jesus is wide and it is deep. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. How does God find us? He finds us enslaved to sin, lawlessness, bondage to the world and the flesh and the devil. We needed to be redeemed. We didn't redeem ourselves. We didn't work with Jesus Christ to redeem ourselves. He came in from the outside and he has redeemed the helpless. What did he have to do? Paul tells you he gave himself for us. That's shorthand for the cross. He had to pour out his life on that accursed tree to save sinners just like you and me. And that's what he has done. He has redeemed us from all lawlessness. If you're a sinner saved by Jesus Christ, you have been saved, not in part, but you have been saved in whole. And he has come to purify for himself a people for his own possession. If you've ever been to someone's home and they're inviting you in to, for a meal, and with excitement, they take you to some corner of the house. They want to show you their prized possession. It could be a coin. It could be a photograph. It could be a book. It could be anything. Well, Paul says the prized possession of Jesus Christ is you, believer. It is his church for whom he died. The grace of God is wide and deep. 
And then Paul takes us to the second coming. That's in verse 13. We are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Before we were Christians, Paul says, we were hopeless without God and hope in the world. But now, believer, you have a hope that God has given to you. And if Paul looks for a single word to describe that hope, here it is, glory. We are waiting for the glory of Jesus Christ to appear, our great God and Savior. And when he returns, the scripture says he will finish what he has begun. He who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Every Christian is a work in progress. And we ask ourselves, there is so much yet to be done. Will I give way? Will God give up? And the answer is no. And you will see it, believer, with your own eyes when your Savior, your great God and Savior Jesus Christ, returns in glory. So there are the two comings. The church of Jesus Christ we need before our eyes. And that Aaron will put before you week in and week out. How does this point apply to us? You know, Paul wants you to see, God wants you to see how wide and deep the grace of God is. And the reason is not that we make God's grace too big, we make it way too small. We make God small and we make ourselves big. And the reality is, it's just the reverse. And the grace of God is as wide and deep as God is his, himself. And the return of Christ. Do you think about the return of Christ? Many ridicule it. Many don't want to think about it at all. But Christian, God wants you to think of it. And God sends his messengers to remind you of it. Why is that? To give you hope and encouragement, God will finish what he has started. I had the pleasure of serving you for the better part of a year, almost a decade ago. And I would drive up every Sunday, Highway 25. And as I came into Carthage, there was a sign on a hill announcing a gas station soon to be built. And that sign was sun bleached and the paint was peeling and there was no work ever done. Somebody had the very best of intentions, I'm sure, but the work was not finished. And when you hear, Christian, that your Savior is returning, you know God will finish what he has started. Two comings. And then two commands. Grace has appeared to train us, verse 12. 
not to tickle the imagination, not to fill your head. It is to train us, to exhort, to discipline, to encourage, to change. And what kind of regimen does God put the believer under? And Paul says it's very simple. If you want to live the Christian life, if you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to listen well to what your pastor is teaching you from this pulpit, there are really only two words you need to know. And the first word is no. Verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. You have to learn to say no. No to ungodliness. That's the word scripture uses to describe sinful rebellion against God. Worldly passions, that is passions that run after the things the world runs after. Why does God have to give us this command? Because Christian sin no longer reigns in you, but sin remains in you. Perhaps you've had the experience, I hope not often, of getting the flu. And there comes a day when you turn the corner and you feel like yourself again, but not quite. That flu lingers on just a little bit longer. It's some time before you have your full strength and your full appetite back. It's hanging on. And that's a glimpse of sin in the Christian. Its reign has been broken, but it will remain in us until we die or until Christ returns. So that's one word, no. And there's another word you have to learn to say, and that is yes. Verse 12, training us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. You see, sin makes a mess of our lives, and God puts it back in order. And then look at verse 14. He makes us zealous for good works. You know, Paul was a zealous man. He was a zealous man when we first meet him on the pages of Scripture, persecuting the church, breathing murder. But that's not the kind of zeal Paul is speaking of here. That zeal was in the wrong direction. This zeal is a zeal for doing what is pleasing to Christ, what is pleasing to the Savior. So Paul says, Titus, as you preach Christ to the church, as you press the training regimen of grace upon the people of God. You remind them of those two words. You say no and you say yes. So we come to a close. How does the grace of God train us to say these two words? How does the grace of God train you to say no to sin? And it begins here. You turn your eyes to the cross. The cross that Aaron will be holding before you week in and week out. 
because on that cross hung the Savior you love, who gave himself, not because he saw anything worthy or lovely in any one of us, but who gave himself in love for the unlovely. John Owen illustrated it this way. He says, imagine you're a man and your beloved wife is in the woods. She is shot dead by an arrow, flung from a bow by a careless hunter. And the authorities come to your house and they bring the sad news, your wife has perished. But they say, here is the arrow that killed your wife. Would, would you like to have it? Would you like to put it up on your mantle? Would you like a keepsake or a remembrance? And Owen says, you'd say, absolutely not. You take that arrow from me. I never want to see it again. And Owen says, if Jesus Christ has died, believer, for your sins, that's your heart. You say, I never want to see those sins again those sins that nailed Jesus Christ to the tree. And how does grace train us to say yes to godliness? What did it take for Christ to redeem his people? Paul tells you. He gave himself. That's what it took. The Son of God in our humanity gave himself. And if he had held so much as an ounce of himself back, we'd all perish. But he didn't. He gave himself and he did it all. He did the unthinkable. He did what no person could do. And then he comes to us and he says, child, I've given myself for you. There's a debt you can never repay. And you're mine. You're my prized possession. And the heart that looks at that Savior says, yes, Lord, speak, your servant hears. Well, that's the good news you'll be hearing week in and week out. And the good news that will help you by the power and blessing of the Holy Spirit to say no to sin and to say yes to what is pleasing to Jesus Christ. But let me ask you this. Do you know him? Not just know about him. But do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? That you're a sinner in need of salvation. He is the only Savior there is, and he is the Savior you need. What a pity it would be if we were to hear of him and yet not run to him. And if you haven't, he calls you to come. Lay down your burden and embrace him. Turn your back to sin and turn your face in trust to him. 
And if you've come, you keep coming because you'll want to hear of him through his servant because you love him and you want to be under his ministry and you want to learn more of him. God grant that he do just that in your life and mine through the ministry of this man, your pastor, Aaron Suber. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great God and Savior we have in Jesus Christ. We praise you for what he has done, for what he is doing, and for what he will do. Give us eyes that would remain fixed on him in faith and the love that comes from faith until we see him not in weakness, but in glory. And we ask this in his name. Amen.